This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome, everybody. Uh, welcome all our Torah Anytime viewers. Uh, so tonight, I'm going to try, the goal is to try to get the whole Hanukkah story into the time that we have allotted for today. Um, <clears throat> and you might think, Hanukkah story, you hear the Hanukkah story, you're like, okay, you know, the, there was a fight, there was Maccabees, you know, pretty strong is- Israeli men with swords and spears, and they won the Greeks, and then they found an extra jar of oil, and they lit the jar of oil, and, you know, we eat donuts, and you spin the dreidel, and, you know, light the manila. But in fact, the, the story is, is a very long, very interesting, and there's a lot of things. The reason why I called it the hidden story of Hanukkah is because most people don't know the story of Hanukkah, which also makes you wonder, why doesn't anybody know the story of Hanukkah? And in fact, there's no books on Hanukkah. And it, there's actually, there's Maccabees 1 and Maccabees 2, which is actually a book, not just Israeli uh, soccer team or something like that. <laughs> so we need to understand this. First of all, if there is a book called the Maccabees, then how come we don't have a, you know, like, you know, we have a Megillat Estel? When we come to um, to Purim, we read the Megillat Estel. We read the whole story of Estel. We don't read the story by, by Hanukkah. So how come we don't do that? Number two, it's it's very interesting because this is the last festival since the... Basically, so this is the last festival in history until today, which means this: we had, you know, Pesach, you had, you know, then you, you, you have Shavuot, you have Sukkot, you have all those holidays in a chronological order. Hanukkah happened the last one, the last one in, in, the, time, in the time zone. So now, um, this, is a, this is also brings us to a very important understanding. You know, there's a, there's a saying that, um, uh, that uh, who is someone who's wise, someone who sees the future, someone who sees what's going to happen. Also, somebody who's smart is somebody who's able to learn from other people's mistakes. Or you look through history, and you realize what happened through history, and you realize, okay, let me learn from how they messed up. So, this is, the, this is what, um, you know, the, the non-Jews never got that. The people that pros- prosecuted the Jews, it was always like, you know, they didn't get the hint. Paro tried to destroy us, didn't work. Alright, that, alright, they, they, they didn't read that. Then they go, and you, you keep on going through history. You have uh, Persia, you have, um, you have the Greeks, you have... You have uh, the ba- Babylonians keep on coming. They keep on trying to destroy us, and we're still around. But they had no one learns, and they keep on trying. Now we have Hamas, we have ISIS, we have uh, you know a bunch of other friendly neighbors in Israel that also want us to be eradicated from the face of the earth. <clears throat> and the other thing is, at this I don't really have an answer. The number one most celebrated holiday for the secular non you know secular Jews is Hanukkah. What you think about it. Okay, it's nice, you get to sit around the kid, eight nights of presents, whatever. But uh, if you read the story and you know the story, it makes no, they're the last people that should celebrate this holiday. Oh. How? No, I got it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to hear weird things today. <laughs> All right. So, um, the, there's also a few, this is, we're still in the introduction. Also, when that, there's an oral tradition, whenever that you see Greeks in the, in the Gemara, in the thing, it's actually referring to Hellenistic Jews. So, uh, we have to define the term Hellenistic um, Hellenistic or Hellenism. Hellenistic is when you have the Jews wanted to be like the Greeks. The Greeks were, you know, the, the side of, you know, impurity. And the Jews who wanted to be like the Greeks, acted like the Greeks, behaved like the Greeks, they were called the Hellenistic Jews. So it says, whenever it actually says in the Torah, Greeks, in the, in the oral law, it's actually referring to the Hellenistic Jews. Okay, so that is the introduction. Now let's begin with uh, some of uh, so what happened. So to begin, I want to start off with uh, with beforehand. For some people, people I get this question all the time: What happened first, Purim or Hanukkah? All the time. So it's a very common question. So let's get the the chronological order, so it'll be very very clear. You had the the first temple when it was when it was when it was standing. It was destroyed by the nation of Babylon, Babel. Now when they were destro- de- destroyed. 
um, and Babylon was like the ruling empire, if you may. After that came the ruling empire of Persia. Persia is where you had the story of Purim. And that was the, the 70 year gap between the first Beth Amikdash and the second Beth Amikdash. So the second Beth Amikdash was built from an under Persian rule. It was in fact the, the son, which was King Darius II, I believe it was, who was the son of Esther and Ahasuerus. He was the one who started with the building of the, of the second temple. But there was Shomor. That was the first temple. Oh. Yeah. Then you have, so then you, so we start off with Babylon. Then we went to Greece, being the, like the, the majority stakeholder of the world. And then you have uh, Greek, which is going to be our story. And then it's going fi- to end with Rome. Rome is the destruction of the second Beth Amikdash. Clear? Make sense? Okay. So, in fact, uh, I'm sorry. I'm, you're going to hear a lot of the, it just, it's automatic. It's like the pinky that comes out. Yeah. It's a perfect, yeah. It just burns my tongue, so I take a little bit, I do the ah, and then I'm good. Okay, so now the, um, the, when the first Beth HaMikdash was destroyed, the Jews thought that, okay, God forsake us. It's not like we're like, oh yeah, God doesn't like us. Like we, it is the first time that it happened that God was like, okay, the Beth HaMikdash was destroyed. The Jews were exiled. The Jews thought, okay, we're done. That's it. So they said, let's just assimilate. Let's just, you know, go marry, go into, into marry and do whatever. Until the prophet Yechazkel came and says, no, no, no. He says, this is because you, you sinned and you went away. For, you didn't do, if you're going to go and do tshuva, then God's going to take you back. So that was the, the um, that was the, the the you had the the story of of Persia, which is Purim, and then you had the story with Greeks. Now, before we even start with the actual Greece, which you have with the famous Antiochus, we have to start with this, this somebody who is very famous in the Greek history is Alexander the Great, right from from Macedonia, Macedonia, Macedonian, Alexander the Macedonia, right? Okay, so um, it's very interesting when you look at, when you when you read about um, you know the, the Greek history. It's very very confusing of what's actually going on in there, you know, in, in the Greek culture because you have on one side they were very sophisticated, they were extremely advanced in in science and medicine, and in fact, I'm sure you guys have heard of Socrates, very famous philosopher, Greek. You know who was a student? Plato. Plato, Plato was a student, and people don't usually know this. Plato was actually a wrestler. He won like two gold medals. And, uh, whatever they considered the equivalent of gold medals back then. And, um, and, and then he went to philosophy. He actually believed in the immorality of the soul. Which is surprising. What did I say? Whatever. As long as you understood it, I'm fine. Okay. I, like I said, I'm on a lot of medication today. So words are gonna come out that I won't understand it. I hope you understand it. But please stop me if I don't make sense. Um, the, um, the next, after Plato, came Aristotle. Aristotle was, um, his, one of his famous teachings was happiness is the goal of life. Which I think he's pretty right on because that's the way most people live their life is happiness is the goal of life. And what people don't know is that he had a student, uh, Aristotle, and his student was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was actually a philosopher. He actually studied philosophy and, uh, um, and, and he died at a very young age of 33, I believe it was. So he didn't live that long, but he conquered the entire, he, that's when he put Greece on the map. Like beforehand, Greece were like, where they were fighting with each other, they were, all the islands were against each other. When Alexander the Great came, he conquered everything. He took it over from Persia. So, so when you look at the Greek, uh, the, the, the Greek lifestyle, it was completely different than, than, because they had the regular paganism, so you had all the gods and, you know, the, all the regular stuff that was going on at that time. But, um, they had something more advanced, which was philosophy. They had the philosophy and the science and the medicine and all these things. But, they, uh, on the other hand, also, they were very, very barbaric people. They also, they, they, um, there was no, like, even though they believed that they had, like, paganism and they had gods, they didn't believe that the gods actually cared about them. 
it was sort of like they, they created the world or whatever powers that they say that they had, but they sort of just let them be as they want. So they, this created an okay for them to do whatever they want. They, in fact, had a thing that there was no such thing as forbidden love. You can be married, you cannot be married, doesn't matter, everything's good. And um, their main goal was pleasure. And they also very, uh, very much, uh, you know, uh, worship the body. You ever hear people, my, the body is my temple, you know? <laughs> it's it, usually not such a deep voice. The body is my temple, you know? That usually those, and where does it come from? Usually it comes from a Greek. Greek worships their bodies. Now granted, you have to treat your body the right way. You have to, you know, you know be healthy. But where they, they actually worship their body, and that's why you have, they were also very into nudity, which is, you know, odd. But they were like, they used to do, um, they used to have uh, gymnasiums. And they used to wrestle, and they used to all all in nude, men, women, doesn't matter, all in the nude. So um, they uh, even even though they had this like um, advanced culture on one end, they were like a little bit crazy on the other end with this with this barbarism. Now, with all this advances that they had, there was no. They, 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 in fact, I don't think there's a Greek word for morally reprehensible. Maybe now, but back then there was no word for it. Which means that they didn't believe in a higher power. It was just like. Do what you want, feel what you want, all instant gratification. It's all about the pleasure right here, right now. So uh, besides, besides the fact that uh, if, let's say, they captured a country or a city or whatever, there was no mercy to like the women or children as normal people would do it. They were extremely barbaric. The only people who upped them in the, in the barbarism, if that's a real word, is uh, the Romans. They're the ones who, who upped them in their, in their game. Now... Until this time the, in, in the Jewish history, by the way, the way that we're going to go to, to understand the story is we're going to go to the, the Greek side, the Greek story, and then we're going to jump to the Jewish, what's going on in the Jewish world, the Greek world. So you're sort of going to get like simultaneously two different uh, pictures, and, but it would all uh, meet up. So the Greeks originally thought of the, of the Jews as like, and how many people now is like, you know, like weird people with weird customs. Okay, sorry, I tried. So they, they thought of them as weird. Like, what are they doing? Why are they putting these things on their hands? Why do, why do they, you know, they're just weird people. Until something came, there was a King Tommy. He was, um, he, uh, there was something called the Septuagint. Septuagint is where he gathered 70 of the Chachamim, the sages, put them into a, uh, brought them into his palace, put them each into separate rooms, and told them, translate the Torah. Why did he do that? He says, oh, you, you put them all, you know, they're going to say, okay, let's change this, let's change this. He wanted the unadulterated Torah. The miracle that happened is I believe they changed 13 things. And all 70 of them changed exactly the same 13 things. So, I think what Putner says is, he says, that's not a miracle. He called that a miracle. You know what's a miracle? You put 70 rabbis in the same room and they come out with the same Torah. That's a miracle. <laughs> but in all, all being said, the, he, they, put, they took the Torah and now the Greeks had the Torah. This is the first time that it was translated in history, the Torah. So, the Greeks now start reading the Torah, and now they're like, originally they thought the Jews as like crazy weird people, but now they're like, okay, they're actually very sophisticated, very educated, very morally advanced, much more than they were. So it started like, uh, you know, at, at beforehand it was just like the Jews, the, you know, like the weirdos. You know, it's like, let's say you're in like, uh, you know, in like, you know, yeah, but you know how like sometimes you have like, let's say you're doing a, a program, let's say you're in, you're in a class and you have to, you're, you're competing, whatever, for a, let me think of a better example, you're competing for, for a science project. And you're creating this thing, and then you have like this one weird kid, you know, who's like, you know, and, uh, you know, the glass is always falling eyes like 17 times, you know, one of those like real, you know, like you want to come see my spaceship, you know, one of those type of kids. And um, originally you're like, okay, he's weird, but then when he starts opening up these like crazy textbooks and he knows what you're talking about, you're like, okay, he's going to be my competitor. He's So they saw Jews all of a sudden as like, okay, now they're standing on the map, now they mean something. So it was like sort of like a conflict boom. Then when they read the Torah, they see like, you know, the Jews have a purpose. You know, they're spreading the one, one, word, one name of God throughout the entire world. 
And it sort of conflicts with the Greek purpose, which is spreading Hellenism or the Greek life throughout the entire world. So this is where it started to act, you know, like, okay, we got to, you know, they put them on the map and like, maybe we should be a little bit careful about them. Now, on the, on the, um, on the Jewish side, it was going on in Israel, there was, uh, we have to, first of all, we have to explain a few concepts. There's a, there's a concept of Kodok Kohen Gadol, which um, obviously was the high priest, but more than that, the, the, during the time of the Second Temple, especially at the end, the high priest actually became Hellenized, which means they became like Greek. Uh, the, and the question is, how is that possible? The, the most holy. And one of the reasons was is that they, uh, the, one, of the, one of the jobs of the, of the high priest was at this time the Jews were not self-governing. They were governed by other people, and this is really where the Greeks uh, were, were, you know, the, the king. The rulership. So the, the taxes went through the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol went and then he, you know, gave the taxes to the king. So the Kohen Gadol family and the king's family had a relationship. So once you have a relationship with them, it sort of got, you know, you know, the, you get influenced by the people that you are, that you're around. So he, the, the, some, some Kohanim actually became Hellenized. They became very, very Greek-like. And, uh, the, 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 the first Kohen Gadol of the second temple was Shimon HaTzadik. Shimon HaTzadik, he uh, was was like his name. He was really a righteous, a righteous uh, um, tzaddik, and there was a very interesting story about him in the Gemara. Uh, first of all, there was a, there were there were people called the Kutim, the, the Samaritans. The Samaritans they were um, not such a fan of the you know of the Jews, and now it's questionable because I was reading up about them, and they say that there is some Samaritans in Israel who claim to be they, that they're Jewish. But in fact, if the, there's, like, there's like a few hundred, there's like very little left. But if they want to actually marry, they actually have to convert. The rabbis actually make them convert. So uh, I'm not sure exactly where they hold in, in their, um, you know, status. But they were definitely not pro the, the Jews. So, the, and by the way, this is where we'll soon see the, probably the first instances of the self-hating Jews. And uh, the, the story was that they went to Alexander the Great. And they said, can we destroy the temple? And Alexander wasn't too fond of the Jews at that time either at the beginning because they didn't really help him in his conquest from, from Persia. So he said, yeah, you got it. Just do whatever you want. So he was traveling with them to, to Jerusalem. Did and he like the Jews though? He did, afterwards. We'll soon see. Oh, yeah. okay. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he goes, um, as, he's, as he's traveling to Jerusalem, and Shimon HaTzadik, the Kohen Gadol, hears about it. So he says, I'm going to go meet him, because he heard about the whole plan of what's going on. So he, of what the Samaritans, you know, badmouth the Jews. So he goes, he dresses up in, in, the, in the big day in the, in the eight clothes of the, of the Kohen Gadol. He dressed it up and he walked to greet the, the Alexander the Great. When, excuse me, when Alexander the Great saw him from the distance, he got off his horse and he bowed down to Shimon HaTzadik. So the, you know, the Samaritans walking with him says, why, well, you, you bow down to this Jew? And he's like, he's like, this is the Jew that you're talking about? He's like, he's like, this guy, he comes into my dream every night before I have a battle, and I know because of him I win the war. I see he comes like that, and the big day went out. And uh, so he stands up, Alexander, and he goes over to, to Shimon HaTzadik, the Kohen Gadol, and he says, what brings you over here? And he says, you know, I heard that, you know, that these idol worshippers have been you know, telling you certain lies about the Jews. And he's like, which idol worships are you referring to? And he's like, you know, the Samaritans that you have with you. So he says, you know what, you take them, you do whatever you want to them. The power is in your hand. And then he went, and, the, and, and uh, the Alexander the Great granted the Jews. He's granted Shimon. He says, what do you want? He says, I give you everything. I know my success is because of you. And uh, Shimon HaTzadik said, he said, number one, if, uh, that uh, during Shemitah, the, the, during the year that you can't use the land, he says, no taxes. And he says, please, that we can be able to practice Judaism, practice the laws. And Alexander granted it to them, not only in Israel, but any Jew living in any land, had the right to, to, you know, to worship whatever, you know, to, to worship Judaism and follow to the path of the Torah. 
Now, when Alexander um, died at the age of 33, the whole empire went into turmoil. Alexander was, a, was you know, he sounds like a good, he was like a womanizer. He possibly died from alcohol poisoning. He was like a very, you know, uh, interesting character. And um, so what happened was he had, he had generals, and generals sort of like split up his empire, and each became king of a different uh, section. The person who became king of uh, Judea was known as Ptolemy. And um, he... Was, was also a very interesting, uh, you know, character. But let's leave him for now. We'll go back to him. Let's speak now a little bit about the Anche Knesset of Gudla, which is the, the people of the Great Assembly. The people of the Great, it's gonna sound like we are, we're doing different parts, but it's all gonna plug in together. The, um, the people of the Great Assembly was actually no longer in, but Shimon Atzadik was the last one. The people of the Great Assembly were people who are prophets. They are the ones, some of their accomplishments would be they formulated the prayers. So the prayers that we know them, they formulated it. Uh, they also, um, one of the most important things uh, that they did is they, they abolished the desire for idol worship. You think of it now, like, you know, you see like this, uh, let's say the Hinduism with the, uh, is that the Hinduism with all the arms? Whatever it is. You look at the fat little Buddha, right? Let's use that one. Right? Fat, people pray to this fat little Buddha. And, and you're looking at like, you know, we think of it as like, they're crazy. You know, like you're, you're praying to a fat little, you know, guy who's crossed like that. It, it doesn't make any sense. And you think of idol worship as like idiotic. But back in the days, there was a temptation for idol worship. Just like you have a, you know, there was a temptation for like the, you know, the, for the other gender, you had a strong temptation for the, for idol worship. And the problem was a lot of Jews were falling to this. A lot of Jews fell to the temptations of idol worship. So what the Anshik Nesses Agdala did is that they prayed that it should be abolished the temptation of the idol worship. It just wasn't worth it anymore. Too many Jews were falling. Now what happened was, is once they abolished the, the desire for idol worship, they, they lost the power of prophecy. Prophecy ended at that point in time. So the the general reason for it is that the world is always on a balance. So you ever realize like nowadays, there's no real witchcraft. There's no wizardry, right? You can't go to the school of witchcraft and wizardry. And it, it doesn't exist now. In the olden days, it used to exist. Witchcraft was a, like a real thing. They actually practiced magic. Now, but one of the reasons was is that now you don't have it because everything is always on a on a parallel. You have prophets. So all of a sudden, so you had witches and wizards. So they'll be like, okay. Because if let's say a prophet comes to you, you lose your free will. You're like, of course, you know, like he's speaking to God and everything he says come true. It's like no, it's no test. But all of a sudden, if you're like, okay, well, maybe he's a witch, maybe he's a wizard, maybe he's like, you know, maybe he's doing something else. So now the balance of the free will comes into play. So once the, once they abolished idol worship, they abolished also the temptation of, uh, I'm sorry, once they, they also lost the prophecy. Now, once they lost prophecy, that's when like things started happening. Yeah. So you're saying like the bigger the test that they had, like the more potential there was to, let's say, for example, be able to stand is if you overcome that, the higher. Mm-hmm. Always like that. For example, let's say somebody who has like a very big anger issue, that person has a stronger potential to go and climb above it. It, it goes for everything. It's sort of think of it is that the harder you throw a ball, the ball against the wall, the more it's going to fly back. So the more the temptation that you have, the more of chances it goes the other way around. Now, until this point in time, you know, you have, there's, in Judaism, there's always machlokat. You know, in fact, if anybody asks you a question and you want to know what the safest answer to be, machlokat, right? It's always an argument. Oh, who knows? There's probably some two rabbis argue about it. Now, until this point in time, until be, there was never a machlokat. There was never an argument. When we had prophecy, the Judaism, not the oral law, not the written law, not the traditions, nothing. There was no argument. Everybody agreed on everything. Only once we lost prophecy, that's when, when things started going, getting out of control. And this happened right at the beginning of the, of the second temple, when we stopped, the prophecy stopped. So, uh, and in fact, I think it was two generations, 
or three generations after the abolishing of, of we, when we lost prophecy is when the Christianity was uh, was uh, the founder of Christianity came to being. So like the things started happening out of that. I believe he was a student of Yeshua ben Prakia. But um, it's still questionable. There's, there's a very very uh, you know question. But even though. Like when, since we lost we lost the prophecy and the, the the whole it was a very strong decline. The Shimon Atzadik, the first coin of Gadol, he was able to get a very good grip on. He was able to make sure the people were very close to God and religious, and everything was very very good while he was still alive. Once he died, it it went down even even uh, even worse. And it, in fact, until he was alive, they used to use the Shema Amifalash. You know, now we say the God's name, we say it as Adol, and then we say Noi or Nai. The, back then, they actually used to pronounce it the way that it was written. Now we don't do it anymore. Especially the Kohanim, in the Bikat Kohanim, they used to do the Shema Mephosh. Now we don't do it anymore. So, um, after, after Shimon HaTzadik, there was, uh, um, there was, uh, the, the Tzadik of the generation was Antogenos Ish Soho. Which, if anybody reads Pirkei Avot, you'll see that right in the beginning. Um, he was a, he was a student of Shimon HaTzadik. Now, I can't, let's just come down, the voices. Okay, so, the, the the what happened was with Shimon Atzadik was um, he said a saying and his saying was don't serve your master to get reward just serve your master without without the need for getting reward now he has two students Sadok and uh, Bethos I guess is the English uh, translation of Bethusim and they took it to understanding he says you know what you know what a rabbi is saying he says there's no reward he was saying just don't it's much better to serve God without thinking about the reward they took it as there is no reward so they, they veered off, and this is where you have, yeah, you know, the Tzidukim came from them. The Tzidukim are the ones that, uh, they don't, I, I believe they're still around, but like, they're like, almost like, you know, they're like, you know, they, they believe only in the, in the written law. Don't believe in the oral law at all. So if they put the, if you ever see them wearing tefillin, they'll wear tefillin all the way down here, as opposed to where it's supposed to be up here. Because they believe everything the way that it says in the Torah, and nothing else. So, so, they, like, there's still some of them living in Israel. Could be. It's like reform, I see it. Reform is not going to be around that much longer. Because they're all intermarrying. Or they're just, you know, they're marrying men to men, which no, means that they're, they're not going to have any... They're still practicing cult. Okay, I, see, oh, yeah? I remember seeing a video about them. <coughs> That's very interesting. They, like, they bring, out of something like they, they, they bring corporate or something. Oh, really? On which altar? They make... No, they have an altar? <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. I, I'm pretty sure it's them, but I, I, I like. They had, but them. you know, it's interesting. Like, um, so uh, whoever knows history or ever read a little bit, they're very familiar with Josephus. Josephus Flavius was his um, Roman name. So he wrote about the Tzedukim that um, they were just irreligious people, and they were. It's not like they were. You know, like the reason why they they did that is like. In fact, the Tzidukim, their purpose was like self-gratification, like just pursuit of this world. If you realize, it's going very, very similar to the, into the Greek, Greek way of life. So they, they saw the, the world, like, you know, like if somebody doesn't want to be religious anymore, so it, it bothers them that there is a God and the Torah is real and the rabbis are right because that means that they're living a wrong life. And that really bothers them, so they make excuses. That's why usually, usually, the people that I speak to that are atheists are completely not atheists. They're just using it as an excuse because it makes them feel better. If they don't know that, if they say the Torah is not legit, then they just like, okay, I can do whatever I want, and it's, there's no there's no punishment about it. So this was the same idea that Tzedukim they wanted to go through the Hellenistic way of life, but they're like, okay, but the Torah says you can't. You know, you know what? Yeah, it's not so bad. We're only going to believe in the, in the written Torah, not the oral Torah. So the um, we're going now. We fast forward a few, like uh, like a generation later after. Um, after Shimon Atzadik, there was a coin gadol by the name of Chonyo. 
Chonyo um, the uh, second, I think it was. And so one of the jobs was to collect taxes from the Jews and then bring it to the king. And for some reason, which which I I couldn't find out the reason. I don't think I think history is also unclear with it as to why he didn't collect taxes. He didn't collect taxes uh, for a whole year. And the king, King Tome, saw it as a rebellion of the Jews. So what he did was, is he went and he, and he dispatched a, you know, like a whole army to go and basically, you know, take over and, and make sure that they pay. So when this came to, to the ears of the Jews, so they said, okay, let's try to appease them really quickly. Let's, you know, so they gathered a lot of money, tried to go and, and make, uh, you know, make nice again. So there was a person, the nephew of the Kohen Gadol, his name was Yosef Ben Tovia, or Joseph Ben Tovia. He was uh, not the greatest uh, spiritual man in the bunch. And he decided as, uh, this opportunity, he was a very charismatic man, and he said, listen, I'll go. I'll speak to the king. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Bring me all your money. I'll give it to the king. So they, for some reason, the Kohen Gadol actually did trust him, and they gave him the, the money, and he went to the king. And it says over there about him that you know he ate at the king's table, and he had some very interesting stuff going on with the, with the Egyptian actress going on in, in when he was there. Um, but what happened was, is that he borrowed money from the Samaritans, the, the not such good people. And the way that it used to be in the olden days is that there were people called tax collectors. Now tax collectors, they sort of, it's like, uh, it was a business. You go to the king and you say, okay, well, how much are you going to get for taxes from this, from this, uh, kind of, from this uh, whatever area, this city? And the king says, I don't know, $50 million a year. So it says, okay, I'll give you $50 million a year and now I have the right to collect taxes. And now anything in excess, I keep. And the king says, okay, no headache on me, I just got 50 million a year, and, he, and he's fine. So this is what this Yosef Ben Tovia did. He bought the rights to collect taxes for the, for the Jews in, in Judea. And, um, and, you know, when, when, the, when he, when after he, you know, he made nice with the king and everything went fine, he came back and he was now starting to collect taxes. He was nervous about it, so he came with the king, he came with about 3,000 uh, soldiers from the king. And he goes to the first uh, nation that he, the first, I'm sorry, city that he went to was Ashkelon, which is on the border over there. And um, the people in Ashkelon, they saw and they heard what he did, they didn't want to let him in. So, very difficult, by the way, to talk with a candy in your mouth. <laughs> so, he goes and, and he, um, he captures two of them, 20 of the most prominent um, people of, the, of Ashkelon, and he hangs them. He kills them. This guy's a Jew, killed 20 Jews for, for, uh, um, for his business, if, if you may. And uh, then he raised taxes like seven times more than they used to pay. So he basically like, you know, took it to the whole... Of, this was an era known as the Muxim. The Muxim were the tax collectors. It wasn't just him. Eventually, you know, it branched out. Good business, people saw opportunity. And they preyed on the, on the you know, on the, on the Jews. The Jews preyed on the Jews. This is also, if you read in history, this is where the, the position of Nasi, the prince, came into being, was, was from here. Because they saw the coin, Gadol couldn't handle it, so they, they branched it out. But in any case, the, isn't they? So, the, um, going back to the, what was going on in the Greek, so there was, uh, after Alexander, it was actually quite some time until the, until the, the story of, of, um, Hanukkah king, thank you. The, after, after Alexander, there was Antiochus III. Not the story of Antiochus of that. And he was actually, he granted Jews the rights to practice a religion, and he actually gave money for temple offerings. He actually, you know, provided some of that. And then after him came somebody by the name of Seleucus. Seleucus was, um, was, it, it was a very interesting story happened in his time, that uh, there was another Kohen Gadol that came into being, and he was very upset about the whole tax collector situation. So he decided he's going to start like a whole organization, you know, try, try to dis- dismantle them, the entire, uh, you know, the entire, this, this uh, corrupt system. 
So he goes and uh, one of the one of the big tax collectors saw that he was, his his business is in jeopardy. So he went, a Jew went, and he told the king that the Jews. He told basically the king on the Jews. He basically rattled and says, "Oh, you know the Jews have such so much money in the temple. They don't even need so much money, and you should use it for yourself. You should use it for your uh, for your kingdom." And the king was like, "Oh yeah, why don't I have it?" So they went and they he actually sent troops to to go and and reclaim this uh, this money that could have been for the king. So, um, meanwhile, the, the Jews sent, you know, they, they, the, the religious Jews went and sent, they're like, no, please, we really don't have, it's, it's really, we do have extra money, you're right, but it's, we're just holding it for the orphans and for the, uh, for the widows, and we, it's just for safekeeping. So the, the governor that was in charge of the army, they didn't go for it. He kept on going, and he says, you know, it tasted blood. And he went into the, that was a miracle happened, so they started the praying, the Kwanin prayed, they offered Kobanot, and when this uh, general, uh, general uh, Heliodros, he walked in, when he went into the temple, there was a very big miracle that happened. There was a sort of like a ghost-like appearance came of a man on a, on a horse, and he rode very fast towards this, towards this general, knocked him on his feet, and then two people appeared to like whip him. And it, it, it affected him so much that he was on his deathbed. So now the, the Jews saw it as, okay, God listened to their prayers. But at the same time, they're like, okay, now he's going to go back, and they're going to think he's going to tell the king, and the king is going to think that we're rebelling against him. That's not going to be good for the Jews. So then they started praying for Kabbalah, for his refuashtana. And they went, and they prayed, and he actually got, became better. And when he became better, he goes to the king, and he's like, listen, these guys, they got God on their side. Uh, you know, I don't think it's worth it to stay away with them. As if that's not, you know, that was not good enough. The, this, this Rasha, this, this uh, tax collector, went back to the king and said, no, no, don't listen to them. He just got influenced by the, by the, like he didn't see a miracle that happened. This is what money blinds you. He goes and says, no, don't listen to them. They just, he was influenced by the, by the, uh, by the money, by the, I'm sorry, by the Kwanim. So, um, again, now the Jews wanted to send another, you know, back and forth, like, you know, speaking to him. But at this time, Selikos was assassinated. And the person who came into power after him was his brother, Antiochus IV, which is the Antiochus of the Purim story. So, Antiochus was a very interesting character. He, um, he, um, he proclaimed himself good, like, godlike, um, and uh, that people should, like, worship him, and, and, uh, he wouldn't go to the bathroom in front of anyone? No, that was Paul. Uh, that was a different godlike person. So, um, he actually also introduced the gladiatorial uh, games. Glad, is that glad, glader, glad, gladiators. Thank you. <laughs> it's not bad, only two mistakes, so I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm happy so far. It's good odds for me so far, Baruch Hashem. So, um, but he, instead of thinking, people used to call him, it was, uh, the, the Greek name that he used was like Epiphanes or something like that, which was like godlike in Greece. But people switched it and they called him like, they switched one letter, which really meant to be, Antiochus, a crazy one. He was literally like, he was mental. He used to go, and you know, like nudity was a big thing back then in Greece. So they used to have like new, new dancers, you know, for, for the king. He would go, strip down, and dance with them. And the king, the king while he's sitting over there. So they thought, you know, he was, he was a little bit crazy. And um, he came... It was, this is where the, the transition of, um, you know, like, where, where it started getting really, really bad for the Jews. The, um, the, and in fact, it's, it's very interesting because the King Antiochus, he, originally, he had no interest in making the Jews Hellenistic. They were like, I don't care, I want power and I want money. And whatever you do, I don't care, it doesn't bother me. But the Hellenistic Jews kept on convincing him. He's like, no, we gotta make Greek, we gotta make Israel like Greece. And they had a very, very, you know, basically like modernize it. Greece wasn't modern. Jews were like the ancient. We gotta modernize everything. We gotta build stadiums. We gotta do all these things. And the Jews convinced the king to prosecute the Jews, which is ridiculous. It was the, the Hellenistic Jews. So, um. It's the same by the Romans, no? 
Similar. Well, yeah. Well, it was. Um, what was the combination of uh, Greek and Roman and Jew? What was that? Well, the Romans took over. Uh, they won. Um, Greece. Yeah. After. So that continued, right? Mm-hmm. That the Romans are the ones who destroyed the second Beit Hamikdash. Okay. So. The, these, these were like the Jew, the self-Jew haters. The, the, like literally how, and by the way, soon you'll see the way that we're going on in the story is that it's very similar to what's going on nowadays in Israel. And you'll see like this common like ground of what's going on. And in fact, that's how way it's been for the past since, since, since Hanukkah. So the, um, with the, with the pressure, with not, I shouldn't say pressure, with the convincing arguments of the Hellenistic Jews, Antioch started putting some, you know, okay, the, he started about, Jews are not allowed to keep the Torah anymore. They're not allowed to uh, keep their laws. He, and in fact, <clears throat> what happened was afterwards is that um, the, the when Antiochus came to be came to power, there was a guy. So Chonia was the Kohen Gadol. He had a um, his brother was a Hellenistic Jew, and his brother was his name was Jason. He called himself Jason, and he he went and he bribed the king to make him Kohen Gadol. So the king accepted the bride and made him Kohen Gadol. And now this Jason, he was, was Hellenistic and he wanted to make it more Greek. So he bribed the king again to make a, a gymnasium in Jerusalem. And they put a gymnasium in Jerusalem. And when you think of a gymnasium, it's not like, it's like a gym. Okay, you know, like, oh, people do exercise. Exercise is good. What's wrong with exercise? It was, it was a place where there was, uh, there was Greek gods, uh, you know, everywhere. And you would worship the, the gods. You would say, oh, thank you very much. You would worship the gods. You would worship the, um, you would offer sacrifices. Thank you. You would offer sacrifices to the, to, to the gods. No, I thought it was like, oh, pastor. No, there's more, there's more, there's more. Yeah, no, there's more. Joking, thank you very much. Okay, no, 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 it's good. So now, um, they, he, he opened up a, this gymnasium right near the temple. And, you know, when you, when you, you know, the, the, you open up a nice mall, it'd be like, oh, let me check it out. You know, and people started checking it out. And so much so that the Kwanim started checking it out. And they, people went into this, this gymnasium, this temple, if you may. And, um, you know, so people slowly, slowly started becoming more Hellenized. And they started like, the Greek way is not so bad. It's, you know, and they, and Greek became more, more normal to the Jews. Now, <clears throat> the Hellenistic Jews, did not think that this Jason was Greek enough. They wanted to actually put Greek idol worship in the, in the Bet HaMikdash. So <clears throat> they went and they disposed, after three years, they disposed of him as Kohen Gadol, and they put in another Kohen Gadol, which by the name of Menelaus. Now this guy, Menelaus, according to the Maccabees, the, the, the Maccabee book, Maccabees number two, yeah, they say he wasn't even a Kohen. He was not a Kohen, and he was acting as in place of a Kohen Gadol. Now he went... And, you know, he took it, he took it to another level. Now, we said before that they, they used to compete uh, naked. They used to, so it's wrestling, they used to wrestle uh, in the nude. So the Jews, let's say, would be wrestling against Greeks. It didn't look good because the Greeks were uncircumcised. The Jews were circumcised. So now it looked like, you know, you know, defect. Because again, the Greek pictured that the body is a perfect, it's a temple, and why are you defecting the body? So some Jews went under a surgical procedure to reverse the circumcision. To make it look like they're uncircumcised. And that would happen under the, the, the Menelaus. The, the, this was started to happen. Now this is also when um, when Menelaus he actually took the he had to like he had to like uh, sponsor he had to like oh, he needed money so what did he do he was the coin of adult he took the vessels of the Bet Hamikdash and he sold them to get money for whatever the things that he needed to do so this is when people started getting all right you know like you stepped over the balance there's a difference when you're like okay you're just modern and then you're like you stepped over the line and this is where the like and then it was started like a rebellion brewing so and in fact the first person that rebelled was Chonya the coin of adult who was you know removed from his post and Menelaus had him killed. 
this Jew had another coin Gadol killed because he, he didn't, uh, he didn't, you know, he was going against him. And then the, for the rebellion, he had to get a lot of army to, to quiet the, the rebellion down. So here, and, and this is when it started getting significantly worse. Antiochus actually made his, he made, I think within a span of two years, he came twice to Jerusalem. The first time, he maybe took some vessels, but the, you know, uh, maybe, but the second time he actually captured like 10,000 Jews, brought them into slavery, and he also, um, he decided that there's no more Judaism. This is like, you put it this foot down, there's absolutely no more Judaism. There is no Shabbat, no more circumcision, no more nothing. And in fact, if you were caught with any books of the Torah, you were killed. So you couldn't do it. This is where we'll probably speak next week about the whole dreidels. I want to speak at one point in time the customs of the Jews. It's weird, you know. Why, why are we spinning dreidels? We're gambling. We're not supposed to be gambling. So, so the but it's very interesting. There, there's there's sources for for why we do certain things. So um, the the you know and because of this, so a lot of Jews as as it if were were leaning towards Hellenism. So they became more Hellenistic and they actually started serving these Greek gods. Now, what's interesting is we just said earlier that there was no temptation to serve Greek gods. So what was there? Why were they serving it? And in fact, they weren't serving it because they wanted to or they had this desire to. They were serving it more because they wanted to be like their Greek friends. They're like, look, we're the same. The same idea with the, the reversing the circumcision. We're all the same. So the, um, under, this, under this time... They had, you had Jews that listened to the, to, to what Antiochus did, and then you had Jews who were like, no, we're keeping the Torah. And many, many Jews died. You had Jews that ran to the caves, and they were burned in the caves. You had like, like it was a disaster. It was like pogroms. It was like, you know, this, this prosecution against the Jews, uh, and against the Jewish Torah. So, the, um, during this time, the, you know, the, if you look at the help, you know, there's one thing when you're evil and you're just doing bad things for yourself, which is, okay, you're dealing with yourself, you're a big sinner, but that you're forcing other people to sin? These Hellenistic Jews, not only did they, they want to become Greek-like, but they forced the other Jews to become more Greek, the, to become Greek like them. So, um, now, now this is, you, you know, there's, you can see there's, there's like a feud brewing. This is, you could really say, like almost a civil war going on. You had the religious Jews, which is, uh, you know, we're soon going to be uh, led by the Maccabee, Yehuda Maccabee, um, or Matateo Maccabee for, uh, first, and the Hellenistic Jews. So there was a, something grown, uh, you know, and you, people don't really know about this when they, when they learn about the, the Hanukkah story. So, where did the, when did the Maccabees come into power? What happened was it was like there was it was getting it was getting uh, you know worse and worse and worse and suddenly it was so bad that they the the Greeks went or the Hellenistic Jews they went and they placed altars in every in every single um, you know town and the one of the Greek governors came into a certain town placed the Greek altar and he brought a pig and he says he calls and there was a certain uh, there was, this town was called Modin Modin is about eight and a half miles from Jerusalem Matthias who ran from Jerusalem because it was taken over by Hellenist, uh, Hellenistic Jews Matthias was a tzaddik he was a Kohen and he ran to this town and lived in this town Modin now when the governor came he searched for the most the biggest most popular rabbi in town and that was Matthias so he goes over to Matthias and says you're going to you're going to offer this uh, this korban to this he took a pig and he says you're going to offer it onto uh, onto this altar and he says, not a chance in the world. He says, I believe in God and one God only, and I will never do that. And back then, by the way, that meant death penalty when you said things like that. And so meanwhile, a Jew goes from the back, and he says, I'll do it. And he goes, he takes the pig, puts it on the altar, and slaughters it for as a koban for the altar. Now, Matityo got so angry, so like, he had the zeal, you know, like a pinchas, zealous, thank you, of pinchas and zimri. That he took, he took a knife, he, I don't know where he got, he got a sword, he killed the Jew, he killed the governor, he broke down the altar, and he sort of like started a revolution. He like, you know, like destroyed everything, and he screamed, you know, me, Hashem, and I, who is for God, come with me. 
and a group of people came to came with him, and they ran into the um, they ran into the they lived in the in the mountains. This is, was I think the earliest known as uh, the guerrilla warfare. Uh, guerrilla warfare. What they did was is they were, and this is where the biggest miracle was, is that you have a handful of Jews now. Uh, you know, Jews, you're talking about the Greeks, who are very into their body, very into the physical shape, you know, and they've been practicing, and they're, you know, if you're going to the Greek army, it's not like, you know, you've practiced for the Greek army. Then you have these rabbis that they're going to start a fight with that. If you think about it, and they won at that, and we'll soon see, like, you know, how their tactics was, but it's, like, crazy when you think about it. It's If you think about it, just imagine a group of rabbis from Brooklyn are coming together and be like, oh, we're going to go against America. And like, and like, are you crazy? They're like, no, 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 we're going to take America. We don't like, you know, not nothing against America. Whoever's listening online, it's just, I'm just using it as an example. But that's what it was. The strongest superpower in the world, Greece. Then you had a bunch of rabbis are coming together and be like, let's fight against them. And be like, and everyone was like, yeah, you know, like, were they delusional? What was going on? It makes absolutely no sense. So. I want to pause. Um, this is the beginning. This is where the beginning of the rebellion of the Jews began. Now, I want to pause uh, that for a moment, and I want to speak about the, the Jewish woman that influenced into the, the story of Hanukkah. You hear the story of Hanukkah. <coughs> Some people are familiar with that, but actually, Jewish women play a very, very important role throughout history. You look at Sarah, Sarah Menu. She had Avraham, and she had her son Yitzhak. She was the one who forced Ishmael to leave. You know what would have happened if, let's say, Abraham wanted them to stay. And who knows how much Ishmael would have influenced the, you know, um, Yitzchak. She forced it. Then you have the next generation, uh, Rivka. I'm sorry, Rivka and Yitzchak. She goes, she tells, Rivka tells Yaakov and says, go get the brachot for Esau. And who knows what would have happened if Esau got the, got the brachot. Then you have also, afterwards, you have in... in, uh, in if Esau got it, it would have been poor and we wouldn't, <coughs> wouldn't be able to stand a chance. That's what they... Yeah, if, if Esau, it could have been, you know, done. And she would, you know, because, and who's, who's the thing for? For the woman, for, for Rivka, for the mother. You look at the time of, in, in, when we were in Egypt, um, the father and the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu, they separated. They separated, they weren't, they weren't together. And uh, because they said, what's the point of having children? Because if we're going to have children, they're just going to be thrown into the ocean. So Miriam, their daughter, goes and, and because of that, by the way, everybody separated from their wives. Because as I said, if the, if the tzaddik of the generation, there's no point to have children, so let's not stop having children. And they all separate, they all divorce their wives. And Miriam, a little girl, goes over and says, listen, you know, um, you're killing the girls and the boys. Paro is only killing the boys. He was only throwing, well, who, who was he throwing to the water? Only the boys. But now with your decree, also the girls are going. So they decided that she was right, and they got back together, and from her, that came Moshe Rabbeinu. So because of Miriam, also came the, the you know, Moshe Rabbeinu, which was the savior for the, for the Jewish people in Egypt. I think she said that when she was seven. Oh, she was very young. Yeah, she was very young. The, the, big, the bigger thing is that the parents listened to the little girl. You know, you know, like, who you told it to me? But you have righteous people, they just want to do the right thing. doesn't matter who tells it to them. And then we even go to the story of the golden calf. The story of the golden calf... It was, um, you know, the men wanted to do it. The woman didn't want to be involved in it. The men actually ripped the jewelry off the woman's ear, ears and the nose and, they, and the bracelets to throw it. The woman didn't want to be a part of it. So you also have the story of Fulim, Haman, Achashirosh, who was the savior? Estelle. So you have constantly the, the woman. Who are the women in, uh, in the story of Hanukkah? So first of all, the, the not-so-famous story is of the story of, of uh, the, the, the Maccabee, the, the Hashmonaim sister. What happened was, uh, this is also possible where the rebellion started. There was a rule that, um, that if you, yes, it went under the Antiochus. If you wanted to get married, 
no problem. You could get married, but they didn't allow mikveh, they didn't allow anything else. But the first thing that you need to do before the chuppah, the Greek general has to be intimately with the, with the bride. So there's never a virgin that's going into, into the chuppah. So, the, yeah, and it was, happened, this was a common thing that happened to, to the Jews. So the, the, the sister of the Chashmonaim were getting married, and people were just waiting over there, and, and you know, the, the governor to, to actually come. And the sister's like looking at her brothers, and she rips her, rips her gown, and she says, you're gonna just stand there, you're not gonna defend my honor, you're gonna let this, this governor go and take it? And she started like, you know, you know, you know, giving them a whole speech, and they were like, no, you, you know what, you're right. And they started standing up, and from that case, they started standing the rebellion. So some say that from her, actually started the whole rebellion against, uh, against the Greeks. There's also a very, very famous story with Hannah and her seven sons. This is a very famous story where um, they used to force the Jews to serve idols. They, so what happened was is that they, um, there was, uh, Hannah had seven, seven boys. And she went, uh, she, they, brought, they brought the seven boys in front, of the, in front of the king or the governor. And they put a place in idol. Some say it was an idol. Some say they had to eat a non-kosher or whatever, a pig. But let's use the example of the idol. They put an idol in front of her, in front of them. And they, go, they call the oldest boy up. And they say, um, bow down to the idol. So the guy, the boy says, I'm not going to do it. So they're like, if you're not going to bow down to the idol, we're going to kill you. And you're like, you can kill me, I'm not doing it. And like, you're like, think about it. Your mother, your, your brothers, bow down so you don't get killed. And he says, do whatever you want. And they went and they brutally murdered him, dismembered him brutally, brutally, in front of the mother and the six other, uh, six other sons. After that, it wasn't that they took a break. They called the second son over. And he says, now you bow down. And the second son said, he says, you can do to me what you did to my brother. He says, I'm going to be just as strong as he was. And they were like, are you, are you a fool? Are you an idiot? And they said, come on, go, go and uh, bow down to it. And he's like, it's not going to happen. And they went, and again, they brutally murdered this one in front of the other five, remaining five brothers and the mother. And one by one, they called up the, 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 the sons, and they said, bow down. And they said, we're not doing it. No matter how much they tried to convince them, they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't serve the, uh, Abu Dazara. One of the things that you're not allowed to do, you have to, if somebody forces you to do Abu Dazara, you are better, you, are, you have to uh, give your life up. It's one of the... In public or... In public or in private. Yeah, there's other things regarding that, even private, there's other things that you might have to give it up, but, uh, not the scope of today, but this, and, yeah. So, um, the, they went one by one, and the mother saw her, all her children, they forced, they forced everybody to watch. Disgusting, the barbarism. And, uh, they went over the, this youngest child, saw all his older six brothers getting brutally murdered, and, um, they go, I think it was maybe about seven years old, and they call him up, and they say, don't be a fool like your brothers. You still have the whole life. And the king promises, I promise you riches. You're going to be the richest man. I'm going to give you everything. Just bow down. Because it doesn't look good for him. He's trying to get in. No one is listening. So he offered him anything. And the kid says, I'm not doing it. And he's like, he's like, okay. He's like, all right, all right. You don't have to bow down. He said, I'm going to put a ring. My ring is going to drop in front of the idol. All you got to do is pick it up and give it to me. You're not bowing down. People are going to think you bow, but you're not serving the idol. And the kid said, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not picking up your ring. And they, they put, and he, the king dropped it. He says, pick it up, pick it up. And the kid's like, I'm not doing it. And uh, so, the, so um, the king calls over Hana, the mother, and says, listen, this is your last son. He says, speak some sense into him so you don't lose everything. So she calls over to him. She's like crying already from the morning of her, of her you know. The, and she goes over to her son and she says, um, he says, you hold strong. He says, I nursed you. He says, I fed you. I brought you to this world. And he says, you do exactly what your brothers did. You are doing the right thing. And he says, but when you get up to Shemaim, I want you to go to Avraham Avinu and tell him. He says, you placed one child on the altar. I put seven on the altar. And she let the child go. And the child went, and he says, it's not going to happen. And they murdered the child in front of the mother. And shortly afterwards, the mother, the mother passed away. It's a very uh, famous story of, of Hanukkah. There's, a, there's another 
<coughs> famous story that is associated with Hanukkah, um, but it is questionable where it, if it happened during the Hanukkah time or not. This is the story of Yehudis. Yehudis, there was uh, there was the the, the Greek um, uh, general Holy Furnace was uh, put a siege around Jerusalem, and the you know when you, no food, no water, no nothing was going in or out, and <coughs> the Jews were losing supplies. And it was getting very, uh, you know, very, very bad for them. So there was uh, a widow, an extremely, extremely beautiful widow, uh, very wealthy by the name of Yehudis. And Yehudis went and she said, let me, let me see if I can do anything. She took her, uh, she took her maid, she packed up some food, she put makeup and she beautified herself. Um, and she went and she met the, she walked outside the gates and, you know, the, the officers, the, the, you know, from when she walked right into the Greek army. And they looked at her, see this woman over here. First of all, they were spellbound by her beauty. And they were like, who are you? Well, you know, so she's like, I'm a Jew. And I've came to give uh, news to the Greek general. I'm going to give him, as long as he just spares me, I am going to give, let, tell him how to conquer Jerusalem. So <clears throat> they were spellbound by her beauty. They said, yeah, and they brought her, they brought her in front of the general. So she started telling the general, you know, all these things, you know, how are you going to get in? All the things that he knew already. But he was so overtaken by her beauty. He started, you know, his mind was working. How is he going to seduce her? So... Then she says, she says, listen, she says, I'm a very righteous woman. I speak constantly with God. Um, and I, the Jews right now are in a, you know, they, they're running out of kosher food. Soon, they are going to start having to eat non-kosher food. When they do that, you will know that you'll be able to capture them without a problem. And What? Why is she telling them that? Oh, so you, you'll soon see her plan. So she, so the, so the, the governor says, okay, fine, you're welcome. They set her up her tent and she stays there. She... When midnight comes, she calls for the governor and she asks permission to go to the lake to pray. She says, it's at midnight, I pray, and that's when God's going to tell me, you know, where the Jews are holding. So he says, fine, no problem, and they granted her access. So her and her maid would go uh, to, the, to the river and pray at midnight. Now this went on for three nights, and for three nights, you know, the, the generals, they saw it, they, they knew that, you know, it wasn't uncommon to see just this Jewish woman walking through the, through the, the you know, the barracks, whatever you want to call that over there, and going to the river praying and then uh, coming back. And the fourth night, the governor made a party, a very intimate party, like no generals, like, you know, just close acquaintances. And he invited Judas. He says, you know, listen, this is his chance. And he invited her to the party. There was a lot of wine, a lot of stuff. And she said, surprisingly, she said, yeah, I'll come. But she brought her own food. So she, she ate from her own food. And, um, you know, meanwhile, everybody's drinking, everyone's eating. It's a very merry party. And slowly, slowly, one by one, people leave. <clears throat> and as people leave, you know, it's slowly becoming, at the end, it was just her and uh, and this uh, this uh, this general. And meanwhile, the, you know, she feeds the general more wine, and he passes out. He's on the bed, and he's like completely passed out. So she goes, and she takes out a sword. She offers a prayer to God, and with two hits, she severs his, his head. She takes his head, and she puts it in her bag where she kept water food, and she walked out. And she walked out, she collected, she got her maid, and she went to Jerusalem. She went right back to Jerusalem. Now the, 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 they didn't think of anything, you know, because they, they always saw her walking in there. She went to Jerusalem and she saw them that they, you know she got the head, and then they put the head. I, I believe this. They put the head on the, like uh, uh, on the Jerusalem wall, and when the, on the walls. So when the army woke up in the morning, they saw the governor over there. They completely like you know went crazy. They, how, how was that? You know, they, 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 and they just ran. They just all booked. They ran. They wanted to happen, and so she saved also the the town at that time. So those are three three stories about how a woman came into the story of of Hanukkah. Now the the it's interesting how the 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 battles were fought because you're looking at you have you know four you know you have you have five you know, the Maccabees the the Hashmonaim, I'm sorry you know where they're rabbis and they collected a how were they able to fight against the Greek army 
So the um, originally they everything that they did the Hashmonaim they did according to the Torah halacha, which means is is that if they called they they got they got some people I think they got in the beginning a few hundred that's what they fought with a few hundred versus uh, that but then they said okay is anybody scared to fight they send them right home that's one of the laws of of, of, of war is that if you're scared to fight in war you don't you don't stay in war you go home. And uh, also, if you just got married, you go home. If you just build a home, you, uh, you go home. If you just build a vineyard, uh, planted a vineyard, you go home. Everything was according to Allah. And not only that, they used to fast before they went to war. They prayed and fast. Who would go to war hungry? But they, they knew that their, their power doesn't come with them. They have complete trust and faith in Hashem. Now, um, the <clears throat> now when they when they were thinking, so they were brilliant people. So they, their, their battle strategies was very brilliant. They said, okay, look at the Greeks. The Greeks... They are very well trained. You're talking about they have the Greek, uh, you know, think of it as like missiles and tanks in those days. They had elephants, they had this, uh, this battling rams, they had this, these, uh, ballistas which would throw very heavy stones at, uh, you know, a very strong distance. And they had all these equipment that the Makhvis didn't have. So they said, okay, where are they trained? They're trained to fight in the day. We're gonna attack them in the night. He says, and not only that, we're going to attack them when the sun is setting from our end. You know, they, they plant everything to go the opposite of what the way they can do it. Additionally, the way that the Greeks um, trained is that they had the first, so they had a group of, of soldiers. You know, you had like, let's say, 10 in the front, and you know, like then 50 behind them. You know, and then 10, and then 50 behind them. The first group would have the spears facing forward. The other groups, the people behind them would have it forward. If the first fell, the next one came, uh, came up. So this is very good when you're fighting head on. So the Maccabees said, okay, no, no, the Hashemarim said, we're going to fight from the back. We're going to give them a surprise from the back. So they, they, and they used their own, um, their own, they were used to their own, uh, um, you know, they were in the mountains. So they used the guerrilla warfare. They came, they ran, they fought, they ran back. So they were extremely, extremely successful. One after another, every battle that they fought, they, uh, they won. And, if in the beginning of a few hundred, then maybe at the end, because what happened was, as they becoming, as the Jews were like, okay, you know, they're actually winning. So they were like, more Jews started joining. And more than that, were, <clears throat> it was until this time, many Jews were, were, you know, were more towards the Greece way, Greek way. So the Hellenistic way. And now they're like, okay, there is, the, you know, there's something going on over here. So, you know, everyone likes to be in the winning team. So they, so they, they started, they started fighting for the, and they, they, the army grew. I, I would say probably grew. I don't have the numbers, but probably a few thousand. A joke still compared to what the, the Greek had. The Greek had armies and like, it's ridiculous. You think of it, about it, this is the biggest miracle. Not the lighting of the menorah that it lit for, for another seven days. The miracle was that you have a small army like this destroy the biggest superpower in the world. And uh, the army, the, the war actually went on for, for three years. And every time that the, they won the war, so they also took the, the, the spoils of the war. Now, but, but the difference is, is that these righteous people, the righteous fi- fighters, they didn't keep the spoils for themselves. They actually gave it to the widows, the orphans, to the poor people. They actually just gave, they just kept the knights and the, the, the shields and all those things. So, for three years, they fought this battle. And one after another, they kept on defeating it, kept on defeating the Greeks, until they finally, um, the, the Maghrebs, they just took over. They took over the, the entire, the Hashemunayim, they took over the entire, um, the, the entire operation in Judea. At this point in time, Matityahu uh, Konkado already passed away, and Yehuda Maccabi, he, that, that's when he upped the, the game completely. He was a complete military man. He, like, whatever, the, whatever his father did, he just completely went above and beyond. A brilliant, brilliant mind. So, when when uh, they completely went into when they completely defeated the Greek, they went into um, 
they went into the to the Bet Hamikdash, and they're like they saw at this point in time already the Bet Hamikdash was taken over completely by the Greeks. Completely, they offered pigs on the side. They offered altars. There were there were idol worship going on in the Greek, and they saw what was going on in the Bet Hamikdash. That they completely broke down. They like they 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 literally they, like um, they tore their clothes. They put on ashes on their head, and they sat basically mourning for the Bet Hamikdash. And they went to clean the entire place up, and then they looked for for this for kosher oil to light. And this is very interesting because they didn't need kosher oil to light. They could have light with anything, but they wanted they, particularly this this kosher oil. They were like these righteous people that we've been impure for so long, so many years we've been under the Greek influence. Just give us something. They just wanted something completely pure. There's a certain time, you know, like you just want to be everything everything kosher, and there's like such a closeness for it. And then they found they found one jar. And they had this. They had this idea. Now they okay. So we could either light the menorah for one night, or we could light the menorah for seven nights of non-kosher oil. But they wanted so much to do the right thing. They wanted so much to just be pure to God. They're like, no, we can't. And and they went and they lit uh, with this this pure oil. The miracle was, and this is the time also, is that even though the Hashemunayim saw that, the, the, I'm sorry, the, 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 I'm sorry, the, yeah, the Hashemunayim saw that God was on their side, because they won the war. It's obvious that God was on their side. It was improbable, unrealistic that they won the war. So they saw that it happened, but still they were like, is God really happy with us? Is, are we doing the right thing? And when they saw that the lights lit for seven days, for, for you know, because the miracle was really for seven days, so they, it lit for completely eight days, they saw that God is really, you know, God is really with them. That was the miracle that they were seeking for. The miracle of the Menorah. The, there was a sign that the, the Shekhinah, the God, came back to them, that they accepted their tshuva. Now, what happened was, is um, slowly, slowly, all the all the, the Hellenistic Jews came back to Judaism. They came back, or some actually stayed, and they went to, you know, but the, they, they were done with. But the Jews came back, so the Hashemunayim went, and they they actually took over. They um, they brought literally the Torah back to the Jews. At this point, it was like it was completely dead, and they rejuvenated everything. And, uh, um, and, and after that, it also says that Antiochus he suffered a very hard death. And it says, it's written also in Josephus, that he said also that one of the reasons that he had such a hard death is because of what he did to the Jews. He had suffered like a terrible, uh, um, you know, uh, suffering that he went through through his, de- through his death. But you look at it, and uh, the, now there's, there's a few questions that we have to answer. Is, number one, why don't we have the book of the Hashemunayim? There is written, it's written, the Maccabees, one and two, it's written. Why don't we have it? Why is it not part of Tanakh? And the answer is, is that the entire Tanakh, you look at the 24 books of Tanakh, were all written with prophecy. Every one of them are written with prophecy. And prophecy ended before the Hanukkah story. So which means is that the Hanukkah was at, came after prophecy, after the prophecy, and it didn't make it into the, into the book. In fact, the Hashemunim 1 and 2, you don't even see it in bookstores. It's very hard to actually get a hold of them. You have to actually, you know, you, <coughs> some, some books have it, you know, quoted. But, um, it's, it's referred to as, uh, it's, it's outside sourced, uh, books. And um, it's it's also very interesting is when you think about it now, the reli- secular Jews, they 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 go after the, Hanukkah is a very very popular thing, and you're like the secular Jews are the ones that lost over here. It was a civil war going on in Hanukkah. There was a secular Jews versus the religious Jews, and the religious Jews won, and that's what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the fact that we got the Torah back, that we don't have the Eved we don't we didn't have this influence in that. And then when you have it, it's so funny that you have to. The, this is the thing when people are ignorant; they don't know what they're celebrating. They just like they turn on the light every another night. You know, they light another menorah. So, but you think about it, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's ridiculous of what the the you know what happened. But still, another reason why we don't have it written down is the Hashemunayim, the, 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 they did something that they shouldn't have done. And that is they became kings. They put themselves as king. And they were Kohen, Gadol, and kings. And that should be two separate uh, things. And because of that, it was, they, they, they ruled for about a hundred years. 
And from them came the downfall of the second Beth HaMikdash, because there were two uh, brothers by the name of Hyrcanus and Astabolus, who were fighting for throne, both Kwanim, and they invited the Roman general Pompey into, to like, settle it. So this Roman general, they basically invited Rome again into Jerusalem, and that's when everything started happening and everything started going as a downfall. But you look at the story of Hanukkah, why, why, why I feel this is so important is that what were the Jews doing? The Jews were going for materialism. They were going for the secular. They were going for, let's be like the non-Jews. Let's be the, let's, let's assimilate. Let's be together. And unfortunately, there are, there are many people nowadays that we're, we're going in the same path. We're going, you look at Israel. Unbelievable. Israel, the, the, you, you know how many liberal Jews you have in Israel that they want nothing more but the Arabs and Jews to pray together and, and, you know, and go and, and, and uh, you know, learn together about Jewish history. Like, you fool. They want to kill you. They're cartoons. Little kids literally says, kill the Jews. They have games. They have games. I don't know if you've seen it. They have games like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, the place, I don't know how advanced they are. But the games are, you know how you, you have to like beat like the robbers? You see Hasidic Jews, and they have to stab the Hasidic Jews. And they have cartoons. Cartoons where, like, you have these, like, you know, like, cartoons, like, everything's all nice. And then you see a suicide bomber going, blowing up a bunch of Jews. And then he's, you know, going, flying up with angels, you know. I don't think they show the 72 virgins. But, uh, but, but it, it, they, they train these. And these liberal Jews are like, no, come, we're all the same. Let's be all together. And, you know, we're going in the same way. The, the government is, is very liberal. The government is not pro the, the religious uh, world. It's pro the, the opposite world. We're going in the same way that went in, in Hanukkah. And we have to wake up. We have to realize this is not the way that it's supposed to be. The way, that it, the way that it was is you had the secular Jews and the religious Jews. Secular Jews always going for the materialism. Always going for just constantly just, just building, building and building and building and building. Forgetting everything about religion. Forgetting, you know, trying to act as much non-Jew as they possibly can. Reverse the circumcision nowadays is not as crazy because people don't go in the nude. But many Jews hide that they're Jewish. They hide that they're Jewish. And they, they you know, I had a guy, I, I don't understand why. His name was Chaim. I used to work with him. And so, you know, it's very common that you have, you take non-Jewish names because, go tell a Christian to say Chaim. You know, they, they, like, they, they don't cough up phlegm, but I can't do it. So he said, okay, fine. So he changed his name. You know, so um, he changed his name. And when I heard his name, I'm like, you got to be. He changed it to Chris. No. <laughs> I'm like, Charles, Chuck. You know, I, I could I could name you like 16 different CH names. Chris out of all of them? I don't know. Uh, you know, so but like, like, why do you want to be like them? You know, they, you know, it, it's it's something that you we're, we're different. We are different than the non-Jews. We are. We're very different than the non-Jews. The idea is the story of Hanukkah is to learn from it, to learn to realize to be proud to be Jewish. We are proud that we are religious. We stand up for what we believe. We stand up for the Torah. We stand up for the, for the Chachamim. We stand up for the, for the thing. And Baruch Hashem, we live in a community Baruch Hashem that does that. And hopefully, with this, we'll be able to spread it out and, and give it to, more to the entire uh, to the entire world, like we should. Any questions? I think it's fascinating this story. No, isn't this crazy this story? I thought you would have more. Yeah. I have a little. I, I actually skipped a lot of stuff, but uh, you finished so quickly. I know, because I, I skipped a lot of stuff, but. Uh. I have a question. Mm-hmm. So you said that Hanukkah isn't recorded because there's no prophecy, but they say nowadays whatever's happening now is being recorded. No, it wasn't in. It's not put in the Tanakh. Oh, okay. So it is. It is recorded. But what, what's happening now is going to be written in the Tanakh. What do you mean? What's happening now? Like, like this generation is going to be written in the Torah. Which Torah? Like, like Dor uh, Dor Mashiach. She's saying. Yeah. Um, then when Mashiach comes, that's a whole different ball game. What we're talking about there. But until Mashiach comes, 
everything is, is, is as we have it now. In fact, there are hints to Hanukkah in the, in the Torah. Um, yeah. It's in Vayikra, Leviticus, uh, chapter 24. I have to look it up. It's very, it's like, it's, it speaks about the holidays in order. And then it says right after, right after um, Sukkot, it speaks about like lighting a menorah. Which you're like, why does that have to do there? And the answer is because that right after Sukkot comes Hanukkah. Is there any reference to Purim also? I'm like, sure there in, is. In that section, in, um, there is a there is a reference of, of Purim. I don't remember where. I'm wondering because like if it's saying all the holidays in I mean in order of the. Calendar. I think Purim also. I think it's it's there somehow. Something about the paro. Like it wasn't that specific paro. That that paro comes in later on. And it's all in there. It's all there hidden. It's, it's actually. Um, it's actually really, really crazy because there's um, Purim is hidden in the Torah also. In Purim, in the Megillah, I think there's twelve thousand one hundred fifty-six words or letters, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, something like that. that yeah. And it, in equal mathematical skip, you have the name Mordechai and Esther with twelve in the Torah with in the equal mathematical of twelve thousand one hundred fifty-six uh, letters or words. Exactly the 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 numeric, I have to look it up the exact numbers. But it's like crazy. Like you can't make this stuff up. I know one guy who became religious because of all these mathematical codes. Oh, that's how he became that's how he became religious. Tell him about Rabbi Mansour, he's loving Yeah, oh, he knows about it. I don't know. Rabbi Mansour's yeah. all Yeah. But if we have a few minutes I would I would like to I'll I'll, I'll tell you what what uh, with this uh conversion let me pause this this is probably should not be in the you've just experienced another torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com